Hey guys, welcome to your favorite late night sessions with your one and only Bean. Today we're chilling with Daniel and Lynette Troig, a magnetic couple. For those who are hearing this term for the first time, a magnetic couple is, in clinical writing or terms, a discordant or serodiscordant couple, meaning one partner is negative and the other is positive. I mean, other terms are serodifferent or mixed status, but... I personally like magnetic because it's fun, it's catchy. I don't know which which title do you guys prefer? Magnetic is fun. I haven't used it yet, but yeah. <laughs> I just but like we, the ring to it. Yeah, and like... it sounds pretty fun. I'm I'm kind of attracted to him, so it's it's appropriate. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's really a pun intended kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, guys, um, tell us a bit about yourselves, who you are, where you're based, what you're all about, you know, just a bite-sized um, biography of the both of you. All right, I'll let Lynette start first, ladies first. True. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'm Lynette, and I, um, I'm a wife. We've been mm-hmm. married um, going on seven years, and um I have been living with HIV for 12 years, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, We have 11 children between the two of us. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, they they raise. A big family. That's bigger than a big family. That's a huge family. Yeah. We passed the big family some kids ago. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, they range from five years old up to 21. So nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of the basics of everything. Um, I'm a I'm a wellness coach. I, I have a nonprofit mm-hmm. called IMU Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 uh, serves women living with HIV and yeah. um supports those who love them. So yeah, that's a little about me. I aspire to be you. Such a huge family. <laughs> it is a whole lot of work it takes a mm-hmm. whole lot of scheduling mm-hmm. and um you know a whole bunch of stuff so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh daniel yeah so she she said the basis of you know our connection um i also have a nonprofit organization called the homie foundation and our goal is to help others make it every day that's what homie stands for is an acronym and our goal is to, to clean the streets in the community. And that's in a both uh, a literal and a figurative way. So literally we go out and do community cleanups and everything has kind of been on hold for a while because of uh, COVID and different circumstances. Yeah. But, um, so we can't really get out and do as much as we used to do. And a figurative aspect is, you know, cleaning the streets by teaching people different things such as entrepreneurship, financial literacy, mindset mm-hmm. shifting and and just giving that love spirit and bringing back the village mentality, which I think we've lost a lot in America. True. I feel like like even the rest of the world, like with the change in times and the new generation, that whole village and that whole togetherness is somehow getting lost through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Mm. It's so, unfortunate. It's really sad, actually. So I'm going to just jump right into it. Um, Lynette, how was your first reaction when you first got tested and you found your status out? What made you get tested? So I was always getting tested annually anyway. Um, you know, just regular routine um, STI testing along with my regular 
um, gynecologic visits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the last thing that was on my mind. Um, I got a phone call the following day after I got tested telling me to come into the office. And when I went in, you know, the, the doctor said that, you know, I, I'm sorry to tell you, but your test came back positive. So I was, you know, I was horrified. I had absolutely mm. no idea what to think. I didn't honestly know much about HIV because, you know, unfortunately, that's not really a conversation that um, people have, you know, True. unless it somehow affects you directly, you know, whether you know somebody who's positive or, you know, you yourself is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is diagnosed. So one of the things, like when I initially heard about it, I, my, the first question that I asked was, well, how long do I have left to live? You know, I started thinking about what if I gave it to my children Different Mm -hmm. things like that, you know, because I had no knowledge of HIV prior to my diagnosis. I just, you know, so I was, I was honestly terrified. I had no idea what to do. I was confused. I didn't know who to tell first, if I should tell anybody, you know, so it it was really scary. It was really scary. Mm, Yeah. And that was part of my next question. How did you then come to the decision to disclose it to your parents, to your friends? And how was it received? So that night, I I used to, I was connected with a a small group of friends at the time. And I decided that I would share with those four. So I sent out a message, you know, pretty much an SOS message. Listen, I need you four over my house ASAP. So they all came Mm -hmm. and I disclosed with them. And they were very supportive, extremely supportive. You know, just like myself, they didn't really know much about HIV. So they could only be there for me as much as, you know, we knew about. But just to know that they were going to be there for me no matter what was a huge help. You know, that the support is a huge help. My mom, I actually didn't even tell my mom. So like I said, I was diagnosed November 18, 2008. So almost 12 years ago. And I didn't tell my mom until February of the following year. I didn't want to scare her. So I kind of wanted to wait until I had as much knowledge as possible so that when she began asking questions that I knew would come, I would then be able to go ahead and confidently answer them without scaring her. Yeah, because if you also were not so sure about it, that would make her even more scared exactly i wanted to make sure i was i was on my medication i didn't have any you know serious side effects i I just wanted to be able to confidently come to her and say okay listen mom i was diagnosed with hiv but i'm good you know and and i was able to do that of course there were some tears but i was still able to confidently do that without both of us kind of you know being terrified i was able to take away some of her fear yeah and uh, uh, Daniel, how was it um, disclosing to your family that you were going to be in a magnetic relationship? How did they take that? It was kind of mixed in the beginning. Um, I, I think a, a lot of our family were just pretty much questioning why I would decide to be in a relationship with someone who was living with HIV. Mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, as the term goes, there's so many other fish in the sea type thing but overall because our family my family has been impacted by HIV in the past 
some of us was, was a little more knowledgeable about it prior to me be, being in a relationship with Lynette. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was really mixed. But for the most part, the, the, the main people who were the important people were my mom and my dad. And they, they, they loved Lynette already because we were actually friends prior to us yeah. an item. So, you know, she was diagnosed November of 2008. We actually met in October of 2008 prior to her diagnosis. But we were friends up mm-hmm. until we decided to get together, which is a, another funny story later on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, that, and I actually, actually we're looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, he loves that part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> no, we love it too. We love it too. Yeah. <laughs> we're looking forward to it. Uh, it actually takes into my next question. I was about to say the process of finding or meeting or dating someone in general is very tricky. Yeah, regardless of status, <laughs> like we are all struggling <laughs> mm-hmm. to find the one. But like uh, Lynette, what was it like? What was your thought process in like when you thought of getting into a relationship, and how did you overcome it? It was absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. I it, it was it was a process, you know. I didn't know, you know. This is something that I talk to a lot of people about because they ask me, "How in the world did you find somebody?" And you're positive, and I'm struggling, and how do I get over my diagnosis and things like that. And there's really no right or wrong way. You know, people always automatically say you should just tell people in the beginning and allow them to, you know, decide whether or not they want to be with you, given your your Mm. HIV status. And that sounds great. However, that's complicated because if I decide to tell somebody from date number one about my HIV status and they decide that there's no other you know, positive thing or n- nothing else going on that I know of this person, how yeah. can I, what do, what basis do I have to stay with them? What basis do I have to kind of give them another chance? So my decision most of the time was to wait it out a little, you know, let them get to know me. Mm-hmm. Let's go on a couple of dates so they can see all the other great attributes that I have. You know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff to me other than HIV. There's some, there's a whole lot of good, there's some, some, some not so good sprinkled in there, but yeah but like disclosing it from the get-go is like letting it define you like this is all of me right exactly Mm. like i just i just don't i just feel like that would be kind of be the equivalent of somebody sitting on the first day like oh yeah and by the way i I have bipolar disorder and i have you know (laughs) everything (laughs) oh by the way i snore and i'm sleeping (laughs) (laughs) this is just one small part of me you know go ahead and let you get to know me and then in time if i find that later on you know there's potential for actual relationship then I can go ahead and disclose. And that also, of course, depends on people and how they define dating. Because some people, when they think of dating, they automatically think of sex. So that yeah. may change when you decide to disclose. But if I'm just looking at dating as in we're just going out on some dates, literally, and then we're going home afterwards, there's no need for me personally, in my opinion, to disclose to you because I'm putting you at no risk at all. So it, it was True. hard. So I've, I've tried different ways. I've tried saying it in the beginning. I've tried saying it in the end. And just like there's different ways of disclosing, there's, there were different ways that people received it. Uh, mm-hmm. I had times where the guy would, from the 
second that the words left out of my mouth, they were walking out of the door, you know, and I also had times where it was like, oh, okay, no problem. We'll work through this. So it, it really varied it, and it just kind of, it's a case by case thing on how to actually disclose that part, you know, while you're dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Daniel, now you have the floor. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so, so, you know, she, she pretty much told about, you know, her experiences with the dating life after, yeah. you know, her positive diagnosis. And so I knew her during that time. I knew her while she was uh, in different relationships and situationships, which I like to call them. You were um, friend-zoned, basically. No, no. It, it wasn't even <laughs> any kind of attraction between us, quite honestly. So we met in October of 08. And yeah. the beginning, about April of 09, I had a, a, a dark moment in my life. You know, I had a, a, a Facebook rant where I just started <laughs> snapping. And it was actually about my daughter, who whose mother had permed her hair when she was younger. So her hair started falling out. And I had just lost it. And I was going mm. crazy. And Lynette just so happened to be a hairdresser and said, you know what? I can do her hair and I'll, I'll help her and help you out, help make, make sure it's healthy and grows back and all of that. And so starting in April of 09, she became my daughter's hairdresser. Mm-hmm. So every two weeks, I would take my daughter to her and she would do her hair. And over the years, you know, we went from a, a mutual acquaintance to okay, we kind of cool. She's my daughter's hairdresser. And then we became friends. And then we became best friends. Almost to the point that we were pretty much like brother and sister. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually called was, each other brother and sister. And the kids called us like aunt and uncle. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, we grew a really, really, really great friendship. And, you know, as you were talking about those uh, relationships and, and finding love, just in a natural setting, I was struggling myself. I ended up in a horrible relationship, got married, got divorced. And <laughs> Lynette was there the whole time. She, she experienced all of it with me. Well, not all of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell her everything, but I was, I was being a bad best friend at the time. But um, basically, in 2012, February of 2012, I found out that my father was living with HIV. And so this was actually prior to Lynette telling me about her status. So I knew her since 2008 and she didn't disclose to me until 2012. And again, this was still prior to any kind of uh, relationship that we had outside of being friends. And after, you know, finding out early in the year about my father, I I educated myself enough. I went to the doctor with my dad and learned some different things. So I I knew the, the basics, but it really wasn't in death because the doctor and my dad pretty much said, you know what? He's taking his medication. He's undetectable. Mm-hmm. Later on in the mm-hmm. year, you know, she, Lynette, disclosed to me her status. And I still feel some kind of way about how she told me, you know, um, this was. <laughs> so every year in Philadelphia, they have an AIDS walk and it, it was always a, a real big event. You know, we walked around the art museum and. And it was a, a really wonderful event. A whole bunch of people out to support and walk. Different people out uh, playing mm-hmm. music and bands and, and glee club, clubs and different things like that. And it was an amazing experience. And I, I, I did the walk with my ex-wife. 
um because <laughs> lynette invited me out and I, I brought my ex-wife along who she didn't know at the time um <laughs> but um so a, a day or two after that lynette actually sent me a text message and there was an article in a newspaper and she told me to read it and so you know i texted her back said what is it she just said just read it so i read it and there was her being interviewed at the AIDS walk where she disclosed her status and that's how she disclosed to me that she was living with HIV. And so, you know, after finding out earlier in the year about my father and then her telling me, yeah. it was a lot. And then to add on the insult to injury, you know, she texted me and didn't tell me to my face. You know, and she knew for all these Yeah, years. she broke the best friend. Yeah, man, I was, I was hurt. I was and, you know, well, technically... All Technically, he, he broke the best friend code when he got married to somebody that he didn't introduce me to first. But go ahead. <laughs> That's true. Go ahead. See, you were first. So go ahead. Continue. <laughs> he wasn't married yet, though. So you broke it first. <laughs> <laughs> she was with my fiance at that time, which ended up with my wife and then my ex-wife. But, but yeah, <laughs> I had all those emotions and, and the, the stigma started to show its ugly face. And it was like, okay, hold on. Um, you've been around my kids. You know, we the, the, the horrible stigma that people feel to this day. I don't understand how with all yeah. the advancement in technology and meditation. But, you know, we use the same bathroom. We eat off the same plates. And all those crazy thoughts started coming through my head. But after my experience with my father, I knew the best thing that I could do was just be supportive and just be there for Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's that's what I did. You know, I was supportive. And in June of 2013, I had officially gotten my divorce papers and I was turning 30. And I had a big plan to go to Vegas with my friends. And there was my two boys, and we made these plans to go to Vegas for my 30th birthday to, to go act a fool. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I invited Lynette out. She was one of the boys. She was like my, my, my homie. And I also invited my niece. And last minute, both of my, my friends had backed out. So it ended up just being me, Lynette, and my niece in Vegas. And um, so long story short, what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas. We <laughs> came back awkwardly in the relationship. <laughs> Yeah, and so it was a, it was an awkward transition because as we said, we were pretty much brother and sister. Our kids were pretty much cousins, yeah. and like, okay, um, so y'all siblings in a way because we together now. So it was it was, but it was fun. Yeah, I, I, it's a cute story though. Yeah, and I remember. So, so at the time, you know, remember Daniel said he had just separated from from you know that quick marriage he was in that he didn't tell me about. Um, <laughs> and when he separated, he was actually, I, I told him, he, he decided to stay, he wanted to stay in his car. I told him, no, he could sleep at my house. You know, I had a pull out bed and he had already had the key to my house because he used to come over and watch my kids for me and things like that. So I told him to mm -hmm. stay at my house for now, you know, until you figure it all out. So he did. So he was, here he goes from sleeping on my couch every night to then we, us going to Vegas and then coming back. So it's like, uh, so you want to sleep upstairs? <laughs> so what happens now? <laughs> what are you going to do now? <laughs> so you could come upstairs. But then it turned into, okay, I don't know how to really break this to the kids. So we started like having him sneak out in the morning, like go back downstairs 
<laughs> so they don't see you yeah. coming out of my room. <laughs> so it was a really awkward transition, but it's, you know, they yeah. already knew him. They already loved him anyway, but it was just kind of that transition from, you know, that uncle to, to, to dad. Yeah, but yeah. the thing that we have to make clear, it wasn't that traditional you know, little relationship where, oh, this uncle so-and-so, there really was nothing going on between us. No. And so, no. you know, it, it was it was a shock to us, but not our mothers. Our mothers uh, both said that uh, they, they never really want to be together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't see it, but they did. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I guess that's the whole wisdom. Yeah. The mother, the motherly wisdom, the, the sixth sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you overcome the stigma of being a magnetic couple? Or all those, all, all the questions that came up? Um, I don't think there was much isolation. I, I, I think that it was more of an issue for me, first of all, than it was for Daniel. I was more concerned mm-hmm. for him. You know, I, I didn't want anyone saying anything to hurt his feelings or, you know, um, to, I just didn't want him feeling any kind of way. Just from pa- past experiences, yeah. I didn't have a good history in relationships. So for, for the most part, the guys who did accept me in a relationship, they either didn't want us to talk about our relationship publicly or didn't want me to talk about our relationship publicly or mm. if I did talk about the relationship publicly, I couldn't talk about HIV publicly. So Daniel was the first mm. one, you know, being with Daniel was the first relationship where I could have both. I could talk about the relationship and I could talk about HIV, but it was just awkward to try to get used to. You know, I, I was just, I just wanted to protect him. Even though over and over and over again, he always told me, I don't care what anybody says, you know, People are going to say what they're going to say. I yeah. can really care less. But so it was more me worrying about what everybody else said, you know, and then with us having a blended family, I didn't want it to be an issue with the kids and their moms. And, you know, I'm like, well, what, if, yeah. what if the mom says she doesn't want the kid being around me with HIV? So it was just so many thoughts going on in my head. But he always reassured me and told me that he was fine, you know. Um, so it was it, it was it was tough to kind of get over that hurdle. But as far as isolation and everything, I think everybody was because of our personalities and because we're so happy and, you know, uh, a, a joy. Yeah. You kind of can't. <laughs> and yeah, open about we, it. So if you have questions, exactly. we're going to answer you. There's just a regular conversation mm-hmm. around HIV in our house and even with the children. You can talk about HIV with the children and it's just a normal, regular, everyday conversation. So I think it kind of makes people a lot more comfortable than if it was such a taboo conversation. You know, it makes them more comfortable yeah. to go ahead and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Mm, that, that's that's yeah. really true. So, from the 11 kids, um, do you guys have a kid together? Um, or are they both uh, from the, the, the two families? Is it a blended, completely blended family? It's, it's okay, completely blended in a sense where it doesn't get any more blended than we are. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yes we have you know we have we have created children together but we brought children into the relationship 
and we also have children <laughs> yeah. that neither one of us like we have other children that we just have to adopt <laughs> yeah the other yeah the other kids. mine and ours <laughs> like just it's just a whole blend but yes we do have um children that we that we conceive together as well because <laughs> um um the, that's the other question that i kept coming across can a magnetic couple naturally conceive 100 percent, yes as yeah, long as it's baby. done the right <laughs> a magnetic couple can naturally conceive thankfully you know because we are magnetic um (laughs) yeah thanks to that but yes as long as so i had to make sure that i was on my medication on you know taking my medication regularly going to my doctor's appointments regularly and i made sure that i talked Mm -hmm. to my doctor prior to having a child you know, letting them know that, okay, this is the plan. We, we're ready to have a child. And, you know, they made sure that the medication was safe and, you know, that yeah. safe for pregnancy. And, and they monitored me a whole lot throughout the pregnancy. They made sure, you know, they wanted to make sure not only was I going to be healthy, but, you know, me staying healthy would make sure that Daniel stays HIV negative as well as the baby coming out HIV negative. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. And we had the ba- okay. I had the baby vaginally. So as opposed to before, when women living with HIV would have children, they would automatically um, have to receive a C-section just to eliminate the risk of transmitting HIV through the birth canal. So now, as long as the mother has been um, uh, undetectable, so an extremely low level of HIV in my system, so less than, I believe now it's less than 20 copies of HIV in my system, then I can mm-hmm. go ahead and birth my child vaginally. Hmm. That that's actually a very important piece of information because even in school, mm-hmm. I learned that uh, women with living with HIV are not allowed to give birth mm-hmm. vaginally. So this is really important information from you know from yeah. first hand experience. And you know, and that changes from country to country as well. So a lot of things, especially when it comes to birthing children and and um what do you call it uh, breastfeeding and things like that vary from country to country so here in the u.s mm-hmm. they advise highly against breastfeeding for moms who are living with hiv even if we are undetectable um it is something that is being studied a lot now though because there are a lot of moms yeah. who are living with hiv who are like you know well i'm undetectable i can have a baby vaginally i can have sex you know and, and not so I'm sure yeah, I can, so I can, I can breastfeed. So well. they're doing a lot of research on that right now, and there are several countries who are, you know, going ahead and telling their the moms that they can breastfeed. I'm still a little leery of it, you know. If the doctors are telling me there's a, a small chance, <laughs> then I just don't want to risk it, you know. But that was a yeah. really hard part though for me to mentally accept because I am a huge mm. advocate for breastfeeding, so it was really hard for me to accept that, but personally i just didn't want to take a risk even if it was like a one percent chance yeah yeah and and one thing i want to add is you know how she said it was it was personally a challenge for her the mental aspect Mm -hmm. of the pregnancy and the birth took a toll on lynette you know Mm -hmm. even though she was undetectable and the the doctor said everything was fine and you know after our, our son was born he had to go get uh, tested every uh, so often in the beginning and, and take HIV medication as well just to make sure 
and and the whole process was was a mental struggle for her quite honestly and you know everybody you know you can hear what the doctors say but that really isn't going to impact how you feel internally about certain yeah, situations true. so you know that was a, a a big struggle to overcome throughout that process and you know five years later our son is wonderfully our son um he's the perfect combination of us and all of our children put together yeah. which is both a gift and not a gift <laughs> but um you know it's definitely a, a major blessing a major blessing and he's hiv negative just to yeah. make sure you know you know that part as well as me I'm still HIV negative seven years it won't change yeah I was actually about to ask did you take any extra precautions like any medication like PrEP or whatever or did you just really stick to Lynette having her HIV level so when we first got into our relationship PrEP wasn't really a big thing I'm not even certain it was actually out yet it may have been but it wasn't really discussed much but um you know mm-hmm. prior to that and the, the the term you equals you which is undetectable equals untransmittable that wasn't even out yet so that that saying wasn't out the research that that showed that when you're undetectable is it's a zero percent chance of transmitting the, the virus that wasn't even spoken mm-hmm. of yet but we are both people of faith and you know our relationship with god and especially my relationship with god and the faith that i had even prior to all of that coming out i never had a doubt in my mind and like she said she did in the beginning (laughs) with so many different things you know i never had a doubt in my mind that i would you know contract the virus from my wife and so as long as i knew she was doing her part as far as taking her medication I knew that we were good and even though that was the case i still changed my my testing habits so i i went from getting tested annually or, or twice a year depending on the relationships that i was in prior to being in a relationship mm. with someone who's living with hiv i was getting tested every four months instead so it was pretty much every yeah. quarter that i was getting tested just to to make sure that i was still good but i never had any doubts unlike that Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, unlike me. So I was a paranoid one. Um, yes, faith is one thing, and I love God and, and all of that. <laughs> but you were still yeah, like, mm. it, you know, it's, it's different because it's me. You know, I, I knew that if yeah. God forbid he was to contract HIV, that would be on on my conscience. You know, and we we had yeah. discussions about it, and we said, you know, if if that's something that would happen i know that i put myself in this situation and it's not going to change how i feel about you and you can hear that all day long but you know if if a test would have came up positive i just don't know how i would have felt so oh my goodness anytime daniel would have mm. coughed or sneezed i was looking at him sideways <laughs> <laughs> i feel like now it's probably even worse with like covid now, <laughs> Double bed. I'm in a place where I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm completely okay. I'm, I, I'm completely convinced that you know. I know that as long as I stay undetectable, Daniel is absolutely fine. So I have no doubt. Then everything now. is fine. But yeah. if, if if I was just newly diagnosed now with COVID, you know, with COVID and everything going on, if Daniel was a cough or sneeze, I would know if it was a allergies or COVID or HIV or what. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's just, 
But at least you don't have that that weight yeah. in your in your spirit in your mind. Yeah, no, mind. that that weight is completely it's like, gone. It's probably just allergies. <laughs> completely yeah. gone. Thank God. Yeah, because yeah. I, I used to go with her when she went to go um, yeah. get her uh, blood results and everything done, and I would get tested while I was there. And after about the the mm-hmm. second or third time, I noticed her. And how anxious and, and, and fidgety she started to get, and her hands started to sweat. She got to sweat. I'm like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not doing this around her no more. <laughs> yep, yep. You gotta go by yourself, honey. You can't come with me. <laughs> um, I mean, you you speak so openly and positively about your status. I can imagine it wasn't always the case. Like you said in the beginning, you were also just going through the most. How important was it to share your story and just be open about your experience? Um, initially, it wasn't important at all. I didn't want anybody to know. I don't care who you were. You know, I just kind of mm-hmm. kept it to myself besides my small circle of people. However, yeah. once I started thinking about stigma and why my own stigma was the way it was, you know, I, I was thinking that people, if I spoke about it, you know, why is it that I'm so afraid of speaking about it? Well, I didn't want people to think that I was dirty. I didn't want people to be afraid of touching me. I, so basically, it was self-stigma, you know, so I had to kind of clear all of those things with myself mm-hmm. first and then try to think of why I had this stigma. Well, my stigma existed because watching movies, watching TV, seeing news articles and things like that, I had never seen anyone who looked like me and positively speaking about HIV or positively speaking about their lives despite HIV you know so it that's kind of Mm. what made my decision to speak um a lot easier whenever that whenever that did happen It, it was like okay there has to be other women out here like me I was 26 years old when I was diagnosed you know I was a single mom I was working, I, I had, I was in school, I had a lot going on. So I'm like, there has to be other women like me who are living with HIV and yeah. thinking that they're out there all by themselves and they can't talk about it because they feel like they're the only one. So I actually kind of started speaking out by default. I had a friend who was hosting an event each year to educate the community about HIV. And she asked me a couple of years in a row to speak. And I told her no several times. And finally, um, I think it was in 2012, I I finally told her yes. I came out and I spoke and the amount of love and support that was shown was amazing. So many people came to me telling Mm. me how much my story helped them and even sharing their own diagnosis telling me that they were positive or they had family members who are positive and they now that listening now seeing me and hearing me speak they know that they can make it through it was like wow okay I need to do this more often you know just to let people mm-hmm. know that yeah. you can have a regular life you know and especially now at this point in my life being married having 11 children having businesses and working out and fitness instructor and you know all this stuff I have going on Exactly. You're living your Traveling, best life. Just, just loving what <laughs> yeah. I'm doing. HIV is such a small part of my life. You know, it's, it's a huge part, but yeah. it's such a small, it's just one part of what I have going on, you know, but it, it had to be spoken about. And now, like I said, once I decided to start speaking out, the amount of love and support that I received, the amount of people who come to me and telling me that 
because I decided to share my story, they can now be okay. You know, and now I have several friends who I'm close with who are in my age range who are living with HIV and we party together, we travel together, you know, we, we have a good time together. And that's what I believe needs to be more public, but it, it's it's hard just because people do live with that self stigma. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. True. And um we spoke earlier about um how you sp- also speak openly with your kids about HIV. So in your opinion, from what age do you think kids should get sex education and education on HIV and AIDS? And what's your take on the distribution of condoms as well to students in school? Babe, you want to take that or you want me? You can start. I'll, I'll finish. Okay. Okay. So so basically, I feel like I feel like sex education starts from birth. You know, we're of course we're not. Yeah. giving them this 16-year-old, 21-year-old conversation. But I feel like it starts from small things like calling your genitals what they are. You know, saying vagina, saying penis. That's sex education. You know, I, I never wanted my children yeah. to come to me and, and with uh, nicknames for their <laughs> vaginas or penises. You know, your cookie. And your, <laughs> I, I don't know what yeah. it is. I need you to be able to articulate. God forbid if something happened. Or if something, you know, is hurting or something's bothering you, I want you to be able to articulate it and not feel creeped out by saying what the, what the natural thing is. Yeah. We, we were born with these things. So say it. Just like you can say arm, you can say penis. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where it starts. And then, of course, as they get older, you change the conversation. So, you know, a little older, you start introducing the talk about good touch and bad touch and you know, you you can even start introducing talks about, especially now with teenagers and things like that, talks about pornography because that's, it's a real thing. You know, talks about things yeah. that are going on in these mm. music videos and what people are wearing on social media and all of that is sex education. So mm-hmm. I believe it starts at birth. Um, condom distribution, I'm all for it. I'm not one of those who, who feel like um, if you give it to them, it's giving them approval. You know, I, I would much rather... Mm. my child know that they can protect themselves we can have a conversation about this they can and there's a safe way to do it you know because we are men and women of god i'm a firm believer on waiting until marriage in the same note in the same breath i also have to face reality and understand that not everyone is going to be that way you know so so i give them both ends of it wait until marriage Mm -hmm. why do i make wait until marriage okay i'll give you scripture i'll talk to you about all that we'll pray our way through it However, if you feel like you can't fight that urge, make sure that you protect yourself. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And Daniel, no, she, do you have something she, to she add? She went all the way through with it. <laughs> 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 Sorry. She left you <laughs> The sex education part is, is yeah. different in our house because we have such a wide range, you know, of, of ages in our mm-hmm. house like you said from five and in our home it's from five to to um the children are five to 18 and, and then my sister is also there who's 24 so at every age all in between yeah. so it's, you know we definitely have to have those those sex ed talks because you got the 10 year old that's walking around with boobs and, and daniel's probably over there shaking his head now uh. but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then the five, then the five-year-old little boy looking like, well, what are those things growing out of her chest? And you know, 
And then we got to explain to the five-year-old why he can't bust in the 10-year-old's room, you know, because she needs to change it. So all of that is part of sex education. (laughs) And the 10-year-old needs to understand why the older sister who's 16 or 18 is allowed to have a boyfriend. Oh, she'll never be allowed. She has too many brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We had that conversation at the dinner table the other day, and the, the boys were talking about their girlfriends. And then I said, "Well, what about your boyfriend, Gab?" And she just looked, and she just knew not to say anything. So we just left it there. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Must be really yes, fun. It is. Yeah, it is. such a huge it family. Is. So, Daniel, based on your magnetic experience, what five things do you feel a HIV negative person would need to know when dating a positive person as advice for negative individuals who have recently started a relationship with someone positive or would like to get into it. So I would say the first thing is for that person to definitely know their status. So as much as we talk about the other mm-hmm. person and you know whether they are living with HIV or not, the, the sad fact is that many people do not know their status. They have never been tested. And that, that's that's scary. That's honestly a little scary. You know that in this day and age, people are not being tested to to know about their own selves and to, to focus on their own health. Everybody yeah. is so focused on everybody else that we tend to forget about our own selves and our own health. So, you know, definitely knowing your status first and foremost. And I would say, from my experience, the next thing is medication. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be annoying about. Mm-hmm your partner taking their medication, but um, I need you to be make, taking your medication to make sure that I'm good. You know, that, that selfishness comes into play. <laughs> Not to put pressure yeah, on definitely. you, but I mean. Definitely. And, and so, you know, you don't want to, yeah. you know, pressure the other person, but it's like, okay, so I'm worried about me here. And I also need you to be worried about yourself. So if you're not taking your medication, then there's a, a yeah. an opportunity for you to, to get worse in your situation. So your, your health may deteriorate because you're not doing what you need to do. And that is definitely, definitely a key. Mm-hmm. Um, as Lynette said earlier with dating, you know, just make sure you're right for each other and, you know, don't rush it. And that, that, that oh my goodness. I, I was, I was a professional relationship rusher in the past and literally, <laughs> Cereal, yes, cereal but I fell in love like overnight. I was horrible. So, um, Lynette, mind your business so I can see your face. So, <laughs> you know, my, my issue in the past was I never really knew who I was with until I was actually with them. <laughs> and then by that time, it was just like, yeah. who the heck am I yeah. with? And so, you know, be friends with the person <laughs> first. Really get to know them, especially if you know their status. You know, you really want to get to know them and make sure that you two are really compatible. And, you know, Lynette was truly my only friend that I had prior to be becoming an item with them. So, you know, I was always a little corny kid mm-hmm. who had the dreams of getting married at a young age and having nine children. I come from, yeah, all I those corny things. Life. And, you know, I wanted to be at my wedding saying, oh, look at me. I married my best friend. And... With Lynette, I actually did. I actually had the opportunity to marry my best friend, which makes our relationship so much easier. Even during the hard times, 
it, it makes it so much easier because, you know, the last conversation that I had with my sister Lynette <laughs> was over some dude that made her cry, right? And so I promised her mm. the next man that make you cry, I'm gonna do some bad things to him. And the crazy thing is I ended up being that next man. And so because, <laughs> because I love my best friend that much, I can't make her cry. I can't hurt her or, or else it's gonna be. So, you know, really having that relationship of a friendship is definitely key. Uh, I don't really know any more than that. I, I think those only three things, but I think that pretty much sums it up for me. And and I, I, I'm a really abnormal person in the sense of my faith and my rebellious spirit. So like Lynette said, I really could care less what anybody had to say or feel about anything that I did. I was going to do me always. And that's always how, how I've been. And so when I got into a relationship with her, you know, she's worried about what people are going to say. I, I really didn't care. <laughs> like, I don't care what they say. I'm, I'm me. I'm happy. I'm good. They don't have any impact on her. Mm -hmm. I'm good over and here. That, that's, that's my personality. That's how I've always been. So that transition wasn't really difficult for me. So it was just, listen, I'm good. I, I have faith in us and what we have. And so nobody else mm. can really impact how I feel about my best friend. He's so corny. He's just so corny. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm flashing on your behalf, Lynette. How can I get something I'll, like this? I'll shoot him over to you the next time I get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that he comes along. He comes with 11 kids. So if I ship him, I got to put all of them in the box and send them oh. all over. <laughs> yeah. And, and everyone, based on everyone. what she just said, I guess that's the last thing that I can say. You know, regardless of a, a health diagnosis or a status, mm -hmm. people come with baggage of life. Mm -hmm. So you got to be able to uh, yeah. sift through the baggage that everyone comes with, no matter what. Everyone. That yeah. everyone comes mm -hmm. with. Yeah, true. True. So, Lynette, you said at the beginning, like when you first found out about your status, you the first thing that you asked mm -hmm. was, "How long do I have to live?" And and you've made it this far. So, what tools and strategies have helped you to manage um, your HIV over all these years? Because I guess mm -hmm. people think it, it's it a really death sentence, but it really and I think isn't. One of the one of the best things mm. that helped me was my medical care. You know, my medical team, my doctors, my nurse practitioners. Because I've, I've been so blessed to find such a great medical staff that, you know, they're very personable. They, they have real conversations with me. You know, everything isn't so technical. They're, I'm not going in there and they're only talking about lab work and stuff like that. When I go into my doctor's appointments, I can have real conversations with them. You know, prior to Daniel, I could go in there and talk yeah. about whoever I was dating. I, I could bring whoever I was dating into the office. I could... You know, we talk about sex. We talk. They, they, I would leave sometimes with what one of my one of the um, nurses would call a goodie bag. You know, make maybe make sure I have condoms and lube and all kinds of stuff. So I think that that's one of the biggest mm. things um, that I could and I could advise somebody who is living with HIV. Find the medical team that is good for you. You know, and sometimes it's much easier said than done. 
because sometimes it might take some changing and you know just switching doctors and things like that which we aren't all comfortable with but thankfully I, I just from the very beginning yeah. I had such a great doctor and um, although I switched medical teams the funny thing is they're still my first medical team and the medical team that I'm under now are connected so as far as my experience you know being with her and, and because we are married we are one flesh, so we are one, even though she goes through different things than me and her status, you know, being along the lines of the ride with her, you know, definitely having the right medical care is, is, is vital, is vital. And, you know, with both of us working in this field for so many years and working with different organizations, you see the good and the bad. And so, you know, sometimes yeah. because you have a relationship with certain people, you may be able to say, you know what, it's important that you have a good support. So someone that you can talk to about these things because, you know, you may come across someone like Lynette or myself who can point you into a direction of a different medical provider who, you know, may have a better experience with them. So, you know, just being able to have that support system of people that you mm -hmm. can talk to that may know what's going on in the field is, is, is very important as well. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely the medical team. Definitely, um, I think the other thing that helps is me educating myself about HIV. You know, making sure that I know all that I can yeah. know or help to build up my confidence around HIV. So now when people do come to me and ask me questions, I can just stand in the middle of a, of a room and just say, hey, guess what, you guys? I'm living with HIV and just carry on, carry on a normal conversation around it. So but it's because I'm confident enough to answer any questions or to to address any stigma, address any ignorance. I, I can brush off any negativity because it's not always, you know, while I would love to be able to say that once I educate somebody, they're, they're, they're better, their stigma is going. I would love to say that happens in every situation, but the honest truth is that it's not. You know, there are a lot of times where people are just ignorant and they mm. want to stay ignorant and it doesn't matter what you say and how beautiful your life is, you're going to die. You know, and that's what they look at it as sometimes. So, um, but I'm okay with knowing that mm. that's not my issue. You know, I that's not because of something that I've done. It's not because of something that I said. That's literally like something that's in you that does not want to see the good side of everything. So... Just educating myself really built up my confidence. And I think that because of how I am and because of how I deliver the, the kind of deliver the news of me living with HIV, it, it helps people to accept it a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I can when I say I'm living with HIV, I say it confidently, but I include all of the great stuff that I have going on, you know, outside of that. So it, it's it's like yeah. It's not like I'm, I'm delivering it in a way where you are forced to feel sad for me. I, I don't want you to feel sad for me because my life is great, you know? So mm -hmm. that, that to me, that's that's another mm -hmm. one of the keys is educating yourself around HIV. Definitely. Yeah. And World AIDS Day is coming up mm -hmm. on the 1st of December. What does this day mean to you? And what do you guys get up to? Well, traditionally, you know, over the years, Lynette and I, or just Lynette, have, have spoken on different uh, panels at different events, um, different things like that. But this year, 
I really don't know. It, it just seems so so different this year because I'm absolutely tired, especially because of the children with virtual anything. I, I'm over virtual everything at this point. Mm -hmm. But overall, you know, it is a day yeah. that is very important because I think that everyone should take the time to get tested and to know their status. So for me, World AIDS Day is, you know, really pointing to that effect of everyone needs to know their status. So, you know, raising awareness of yourself and, and being educated enough to, to be able to say, hey, listen, I got this negative test or I got this positive test. Now what do I do? And being in the, in a proper environment where you feel supported and have someone to talk to and can go forth and get the care that you need. But everyone should know their status. It, it's 2020. It, it's unreal to me that everyone does not know their status. And, and it still goes with the stigma because people are afraid to know their status because they may have been living yeah. a, a wild and crazy life and they're afraid of getting those results. But in the meantime, they're still out living that wild and crazy life and don't know what they could be passing on to anyone or what they could be bringing into themselves. So, you know, everyone really needs to know their status. And, that, and that's what World AIDS Day is to me, the most important aspect of it for me. But yeah. definitely everything that Daniel said. And I think in addition to that, for me, World AIDS Day, um, along the lines of knowing your status, I think one of the most important things that came to mind when he was talking about that is a lot of times males will base their status off of the female that they may be in a sexual relationship with. You know, they're mm -hmm. like, oh, well, she's good, so I'm good too. And that's mm -hmm. not the case. You know, so HIV is one of those things that can lie dormant in your system yeah. for years. Your body may never have any symptoms at all from HIV. Or the and you're feeling perfectly you know, fine. That so you, you have may disguise themselves as something else. You know, like for me, I, I could at yeah. the time, I couldn't necessarily say I had HIV symptoms. However, knowing now what I know, I know that they were HIV symptoms. Because prior to my, back in, so I was diagnosed in November of 08, mm. March of 08, I had strep throat, the flu, a stomach virus, I was dehydrated, and my blood pressure was low. All at the same time. I was diagnosed for each one of those mm -hmm. things separately. However, I was never tested for HIV at that time. You know, so I could have went for a long time after that. It took me about two months to get better, but I could have went for a long time after that, never knowing my status had I not gotten tested in November. So it's very important for us to all know our status, number one. And number two, even when we're living with HIV, once we get that positive diagnosis, I also still think you need to, quote unquote, know your status. But knowing your status when you are living with HIV looks a little different. But that just means that you're going to the doctor on a regular basis. You know, you're you're finding out your all your levels. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm healthier than someone not living with HIV just because we get tested every six months for everything, cholesterol, your kidney function, your liver functions, everything, you know, so they can catch anything, any medication side effects, anything that might yeah. be going wrong inside of your body. So that's, to me, knowing your status, even when you're living with HIV, it, it, it looks a little different, but you still need to know your status, you know. Um, so that's one of the things that I, I always emphasize mm -hmm. when um, on World AIDS Day is, you know, everybody getting tested, everybody knowing their status. And we also use that day 
to normalize the conversation about HIV testing. We usually take mm-hmm. our teenagers to get tested. I'm, I'm usually either speaking at or hosting an event on World AIDS Day where there is testing available. So our teenagers will get tested um, mm-hmm. during the events. And we just talk about it. You know, we started that with them when they were 13 years old, just in hopes that whenever they do decide to become sexually active or prior to them becoming sexually active, that can be a normal conversation that they can have with whoever it is that they decide their partner is. You know, hey, I just went and got tested. Have you ever gotten an HIV test? It can just be a regular thing for them to just go ahead and say. So Mm -hmm. that's what World AIDS AIDS Day is um, on actually... So November 18th is the anniversary of uh, my diagnosis. It's what I call my rebirth day. So I also have an annual event. This Mm -hmm. this year is the fourth annual event called Beyond My Diagnosis. So that's another way that I kind of commemorate the day that I was diagnosed. And, you know, like I stated a few times before, I just look at it as a way to show people that I am more than just my HIV status. You know, and we celebrate that event. We do different performances yeah. and we have vendors and we have we have a really good time. Like I said, to just kind of show you outside of HIV. And we share I have a few speakers who share their experience with HIV, just kind of telling people, look, it's, it's way bigger than what you think it is. You know, we're we're out here. We're living normal lives. We're walking amongst you and we're going to school and we're all ages and we looking good while we're doing mm-hmm. it. You know, it's not what a lot of these movies, you know, and that was one of the things that just forced me to kind of hold it in. In the beginning was the fact that when I looked at these movies, people just look so sick and yeah, they look sick and there's lesions and they have to take handfuls of pills and you're in the hospital with pneumonia and just lonely and no kids. And just, just, I don't want to be like that. So I'm not telling people I got HIV because I don't want to, I don't want them to see that image of me, but you know, I put people, I find people who are who are living life, like and really living life and not just simply existing, but really living life. And I have them come up and share their stories about HIV so people can see the positive side of HIV. You know, the 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 part where, like I said, we're living life and we're walking amongst you. And, <laughs> you know, it's not like we touch somebody and now you got it, too. We're, we're, it's not yeah. like the boogeyman or, you know, it's, it's OK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can live in the world with you and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess you just covered the next question, which is just basically advice to listeners who may have recently been diagnosed or aren't sure whether or not to get tested or not. I yeah. guess you, you guys just covered that and you're like, go for it. Know your status. And once you're diagnosed, you know, Take yep. it in, deal with it, deal with your inner yeah. stigma. And, and allow yourself the process. Live you your know, best life. People people tend to listen to me now mm. and think that I've always been this way, you know, from, from day one with my diagnosis. No, not at all. You know, no. Yeah, you have to allow yourself to process it, it all time. because it's not yeah. an easy thing. It's not, you know, while while it's not a death sentence and I'm not giving it to everybody, I'm walking past and it's okay and you know I'm all kumbaya with it now <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the case it's just you know it was very much different <laughs> so definitely allow yourself to process just try not to stay in it too long you know try to build your support system whether that be your medical team or mm. someone around you that you love and trust um and just and and try your best to to get as much education and real education not like a a web md where you type in something and you're going to die 
<laughs> I mean, if we, if we no, all had a webmd, I think we would all be dead now. No, <laughs> just have a headache. It's okay. Um, but you know, just educate yourself. Like I said, build your support team around yourself, and try to get around some people who will help to uplift you, even outside of HIV. You know, don't don't drown yourself in HIV. You don't all of a sudden now that you're yeah. living with HIV, you don't have to find a community of people. You know, a little island to go live on. It's, it's okay. You still you. You still you. You can do still all be of the same things you were, you were before. before. I mean, hopefully, safely. Like you know, not the stuff, not the stuff that could have possibly caused you. Yeah. Um, to HIV, but you know, you can still live your life. You can still mm. be a great person even with HIV. So, you know, and to those who are who. And I hear that often too, people who are afraid to go get tested because they're afraid of hearing a positive diagnosis. My advice would be to, I mean, I, I don't want to sound vain or anything, but look at me. You know, I, I got tested, I found out my diagnosis and I started taking medication mm. as soon as it was advised and I'm healthy. You know, so as long as you get on medication, whenever you're supposed to get on medication, you will be okay as long as you stay consistent with that medication, as long as you keep in communication with your doctors, but you have to do all of that in order to stay healthy. Don't allow yourself yeah. to contract HIV. You don't know about it. And now years down the line, you find out and it's hard to, you know, get healthy again. Mm-hmm. True. And, and, and on the stigma part also for, for positive individuals, not to, um, you like be scared yeah. of the stigma of taking the treatment and oh yeah yeah that was being known thing that for me in the beginning treatment. too i didn't want to take my medicine around my friends mm. i didn't want to take my medicine when i was out on a date medication was a big hurdle for me to overcome so i yeah definitely get over that part because you got to take your medicine right. in order for you to you know get and stay healthy um so that you can live a long healthy life yeah true and how can we help share the knowledge and, you know, action and support and campaigns of um, an advocacy for HIV? You said you have a, a non-governmental organization on that. Do you want to sure. maybe shed some light on it so that we can visit your website? Sure, of course. So my nonprofit organization can. is called I Am You. It's just the letter U. It's I Am You, Inc. And it's the same website. It's org. Um, the website mm-hmm. is still, it's, it's under construction, but it's up. Uh, and and there, there's also uh, links on there so people can donate to the cause. And it's mostly focused on women who are living with HIV between the ages of 25 and 45 years old. And I chose to focus on that age group because that's the group that kind of struggles a lot with stigma uh, in regards to having children and dating and things like that. And that's, you know, my age group. I was diagnosed at 26. I'm now 38 mm-hmm. years old. So that's my focus. You know, I want to make sure that, you know, us women who have so much going on in the community, you know, so much going on in life that we're taken care of. So I not only focus on that woman, but I do a lot around educating the people who love her, you know, so her children, her significant other, her spouse, those people, you know, her parents, those people who are closest to her to help build up that support system around them. You know, I, I host different events. Most of my events are um, focused on women and families. So, uh, the, like I said, the event that I have coming up is more of a community event to kind of bring everybody together to learn more about HIV and, and what does it look like outside of just that diagnosis. 
but I also have an event coming up in February called Girl Me Too. Um, mm-hmm. And Girl Me Too will be focused specifically on women and us kind of sharing, you know, because Girl Me Too, that's kind of a statement that a lot of us say when we're talking and it's like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you what I went through. Girl Me Too, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so that's actually you know focused specifically on women. It's a lot of different um, <laughs> events. I'm trying to lean more into virtual events now. You know, giving the way of the world. Um, that's a little that's complicated for me because I'm very I'm a hugger and I like being in, in people's faces. <laughs> so it's it's been real, a little tough on me, but yeah, that's you know you can find me on um like I said on my website. I'm also on social media um, under IMU Inc. And uh, also under my name, Lynette Trowick, that's actually the best way to follow me is mm-hmm. under my name because I share a whole bunch of personal stuff on there. And and like I said, I don't want it to just be an HIV journey. I want you to see the whole person, you know, that, right, that's, that, I, I, I burnt, I ventured down the, the way person, of yeah. um, making like an IMU page where it was specific to women living with HIV. Then I was like, you know what? I don't want people to only see that part because we have more going on than that, you know? So Follow me on my personal page. <laughs> you know, let's make this. Let's yeah. Make this. <laughs> exactly. Come and see how I'm a super mom. Come and see my. Let me show you my little crazy Come kids and, and, and my recipes. <laughs> all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So that's and you can on there. You can find all different types yeah. of ways to um, you know, to to support the cause um that I have going on. Yeah. Yeah, and Daniel, how can we support your? Um, pretty much now? the same way, you know. I'm easily found on social media. I'm currently working on my websites currently as well. And, you know, I'm just found under my name, Daniel Mm -hmm. Trowick. You can find me on every social media platform under that. Hey, you could even Google me. You might, you might find out something new that you can learn. Um, We're Googleable people. So, you know, you Google our names, you will find some information. We have been um, in different magazines and different publications where we share a little bit more in different aspects of our story. So it, it's a good way to learn more about, you know, our lives yeah. and, and how HIV has impacted it and affected it, but also how, you know, we we control the narrative of what's going on. And, and we never, ever would need to have anyone out there saying so-and-so about us because everything is already out there for everybody to know so they can see it firsthand how we live our lives so that's that's very important great stuff thank, thank you, so you. Much, this guys, was great thank you. i appreciate you lovely. um you know opening up this this conversation for people it's very important yeah thank you so much yeah and now that we're wrapping up the year of 2020 how would you like to describe 2020 it? has been transformational highlights i would say that i i gained some really good business coaches i've gotten some great business advice and i'm very very excited for things that are to come mm-hmm. you know I, I shared with someone last week or the week before and I actually shared on social media that god gave me a glimpse of what is to come what my future is going to look like so i'm i'm now i'm currently in preparation mode so that i can make sure that when yeah. god decides to release those blessings that i'm completely ready for them yes yeah. and for me i would say amen I you know, I, I would use a, a, a little dash in between the <laughs> I and opening. Make one word. Yes. Just to keep the system a little bit. <laughs> Make it but, one word. <laughs> you know, I, I really learned a lot about myself throughout this year. And, you know, different things that I need to focus on and do differently for myself. And overall, this year has been a major blessing. You know, I've been able to spend more time with my kids. Although now I'm done. 
you know, I would like them to. <laughs> I would like to be back in the, uh, the real world in school <laughs> so I can focus on my different things that I have going on. But, you know, I, I'm here with my kids all day and it's, it's been amazing. It, I, I haven't been interrupted this whole time. So, you know, those things are, are, are little blessings that come in and snippets here and there. And I, I would say that highlight is, you know, I've been able to see things a lot more clear and you know, now I'm in the process of reevaluating the things that I've done and the things that I'm doing and how to be better at it. And this year has really allowed me to slow down and stop being in such a rush and being busy that I can actually look and pay attention to everything that's that's been smack, smacking me right in the face for years. So, you know, it, it's been a great thing. Yeah, I was going to ask, what did you do? Sit yeah. the kids down in front of the TV with a pile of snacks or something? I, yeah. I haven't heard them the whole time. <laughs> no. No. No snacks. I got them all locked in our room. <laughs> the snacks, that is. Not the kids. <laughs> Get a snack. Get a snack. The kids are locked in the room. It's wait, the snacks wait. that are locked in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome yeah. thank you again thank you so yeah, much guys this has been lovely take care and I'm wishing you a lovely remainder thank of 2020 you. and a blessed and prosperous 2021 thank you so much guys for tuning in I hope you enjoyed that chat that I just had with the Trioc family um, happy World AIDS Day and as you heard Please know your status. If you haven't been tested, go and get tested. And if you are positive, know your status in the sense of know what you need to do to live a long and healthy life. I'm leaving you guys with In Love by DJs in featuring Lawyer So Kijana. Enjoy. Stay blessed. Stay safe from your being with the biggest love. Oh, God.